Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you losing the same weight over and over again? Do you feel like your full-time job is to lose weight or focus on your body? If you've had these thoughts, you are not alone. The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. Today, I have a very special guest, Bethany Gettis, who is a certified holistic nutritional consultant. And not only has she experienced her own challenges, but she has seen the behind the scenes as a nurse in the dieting industry. So let's give a warm welcome to today's guest, Bethany. Bethany, thank you so much for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, so basically my story started, I guess, on a professional level was um, early 20s. I basically went and worked as a nurse in the diet and health industry, was super excited, I think, because it was about nutrition to start with. Um, what I noticed, I worked there for about five years, was that it was perpetual, uh, seeing the same people over and over again. And I think just saying exactly what you said, losing the same weight over and over again was something that I clearly saw. Um, I actually ended up going back to school a couple of years into that and wanted to do holistic nutrition. So I actually ended up graduating, getting my holistic nutrition underway and um, opened up my own business basically when my boys were born. So I had a couple of little boys who are now eight and nine years old. Um, and I run my business, Nutritious and Delicious. I love that name so much. So mm -hmm. Bethany, tell us a little bit about what is a nurse in the dieting industry? What exactly was your role and what did you do? Because it sounds like what your expectation was and what you actually did or what you saw were different. Yeah. Um, the reason what drew me in, I think, to a clinic setting was um, I didn't want to work. I, I, I'd done my practicum in the hospitals and I realized I saw so many people that were kind of beyond the health, the health and wellness. Um, and 
I found that working in a diet industry as a nurse, I felt like it was to start with like preventative health. But as the years went by and I realized people were coming in sort of with more of a um, a black and white thinking mindset in terms of like their own health and dieting, I started to realize there was patterns going on. And I felt like it was actually coming away from like the holistic aspect of actually helping people as people. It was like I was treating robots and it was horrible because it made me feel like they had to fit the diet all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were treated like a number. And, um, more than anything, I used to actually get in trouble because I spent too much time with my patients one-on-one because I was trying to sort of counsel them and help them through, um, like binge eating and things like that. And they just wanted them in and out. And it was like a, a bit of a revolving door after a a while. And they just wanted their numbers up. So you can tell why the diet industry is a billion dollar industry because they just want to push people through out of like a desperation. Mm -hmm. And, I think just realizing like when I did the holistic nutrition, I'm like, there's way more out there to help people um, than perpetually doing the same thing over and over again and losing the same weight. And a lot of it came down to people's mindsets. Like they were sort of trapped in this diet mentality all the time. Yeah. And when you say you were in a clinic, was this in a hospital setting? Were people doing a diet program or had they had weight loss surgery? No. Um, so the majority of people that we actually saw were, um, like kind of your everyday people, people that had nine to five jobs. A lot of them were executives cause it was an expensive diet to be on. So it was more of like a luxury item oh. and, um, people would come like we had like in our, in our city, um, in Canada, we had probably about five clinics and I worked at various different clinics, um, myself, but I, I ended up working at probably the the busiest one because I was sort of single and had didn't have kids at that time. So I could take on sort of more time and clients and things like that. But it wasn't like a hospital setting or anything like that. They were pretty much like a, a set way of, you know, hours throughout your day, people could come in. And I felt it was almost like this prestige, like, um, like when clients were, were using it, it was almost like it was a name to them. Like, Oh, I'm under this like name now that like, it's kind of like a brand. And I think it was almost like bragged about when they went to like parties and stuff like, Oh, I'm doing this, you know, type of program and stuff. So it was like a set way. Everyone had to follow the exact same thing. And I'm like, but there's like men and women and people that are like shorter, taller. And I'm like, this doesn't physically make sense you know, but also as a nurse, the other aspect of it was that I got to do blood work and understand that. And um, that's what sort of helped me in my business now is that I have a lot of medical expertise um, and stuff like that. So there's different aspects of it, but it was kind of that, like it opened the door for me, I think. Yes. And when you're describing this, I'm thinking of almost like a Weight Watchers or a Jenny Craig or a Herbalife. Similar. What was the similar. I'm curious to know, what was the program exactly? What did people need to do? Um, This was a keto program. So there's a lot of them out there right now. And it's interesting because it was actually made by a doctor. So it is like a medically based, it has to be supervised because the supplements that people were using um, had to do with like heart rate and things like that. So if you just went on like a regular, um, went into a regular place, like say if you went into Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or anything like that, those weren't actually medically supervised. 
So it kind of made us sort of stand out a little bit that it was medically supervised because people could write it off under like their benefits or their business. So that's why we had a lot of sort of like executives come in because they kind of used like their wellness plans. Mm. Um, But to say how many people actually followed it properly and actually like got real results was like 10% or less. And that's not, yeah. And, and that's what, that's what sucks about diets in a sense is that it doesn't teach people lifestyle skills. It teaches people how to follow something. Yes. Um, And it actually, a lot of people I found it, found it actually wrecked their mental health in terms of, they felt like they were so restricted all the time. It caused more binge eating than I've ever seen. And it was, it was harsh because people felt like, you know, like they get on the scale, like they do a weigh in all the time and they'd be up like a couple of pounds and it would just like ruin their whole week. And I'm like, that's water weight. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's, it was, yeah, it was just detrimental. And I, I, I realized people were so focused on just numbers and, um, not that they were, you know, like women, they were on their, your, their monthly cycle, or they'd gone out to dinner and maybe had probably something that was really high in sodium. Like people were really hard on themselves. Like I could see it all the time or <laughs> a lot of it was, they were lying to me about what they were eating. And I was looking at their you know, their sheets and stuff. And I'm like, that's not true. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's hard because then you kind of become this human lie detector test and you kind of have to, you know, like the company almost wanted you just to kind of penalize them, unfortunately, Wow. you know, for doing that. So that's so incredible. Cause you hear about these programs and it sounds, Oh, it's medically based. And I really think having a quote unquote, doctor or medical professional involved does mm-hmm. give it this illusion of, of credibility, even if it's not psychologically uh, safe. And it's incredible. You said this attracted mm-hmm. CEOs, um, business people. It was almost like a mm-hmm. luxury, like saying, oh, I go to the best gym or I go to this program. Yeah. People aren't even adhering to it. It sounds like it was almost a status thing that people were yeah. saying, but only 10% were getting results. Were the people actually clinically significantly overweight? Did they have to be a certain size or shape or criteria to join the program or could anyone do it? Anyone could do it. We did have, um, we did have quite a lot of what we, you consider, I guess, on a medical basis, morbidly obese, morbidly obese clinically is defined as like somebody that has more than a hundred pounds to lose. Mm. So typically when somebody has more than a hundred pounds to lose, they have a lot of excess skin and they typically are the people that are coming to you after having like, um, maybe like a, a band procedure done on their stomach or something, or they've tried many different things and they've just continually, you know, had this issue. We do get referral. We used to get referrals from like doctors and stuff where like, it was usually, they were pushed in sort of by like health complications. So their knees were hurting and they were, you know, on their way to getting knee surgery. And they were told by their doctor, they had to lose a significant amount of weight. So I did on a regular basis, have a lot of like complex clients, like a lot of them were diabetic. A lot of them, um, had like binge eating disorders. A lot of them, um, had other problems like thyroid issues or blood pressure issues and high cholesterol, but it all goes hand in hand with being overweight. Right. Um, typically the majority of people, I'd say like probably the biggest numbers were people that had 50 pounds or 50 pounds or less to lose was kind of the regular, but 
um, the more complex cases, yes, um, I was kind of given those more often. I think nobody wanted to take them and kind of were like, hey, Bethany, you know, you're up. (laughs) So, but it gives you a lot of experience because they usually sort of come in with like a duffel bag of meds and you have to go through like all of their stuff to kind of help them. And they're on a a bit of a different protocol um, and they're very strictly watched. So again, because it was medically supervised, we were able to take on more challenging um, patients basically that, that had all these health complications. Right. And it sounds like not only did they have health complications, but comorbid psychological issues as well, eating, et cetera. And with this program, I'm curious to know how long did it go for and how much would it cost on average? I know you're in, it's been so long (laughs) so we can convert it. Yeah. It's been so long, but, um, in terms of, cause that was like, that was like, 10 years ago for me. So and prices obviously would be a lot different now. Um, Canadian, I would say every three weeks, they were maybe paying like between six to $600 to $800. Wow. And on top of that supplements and like bars and things that they would have. So they were again, like kind of endorsing their own things as well. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pricey, but I found a lot of people because it was medically based, they were able to write off some of the costs because they were actually seeing a doctor in our clinic and they were seeing nurses. So it was considered this medical, medical thing that wasn't an aesthetic, like a, like a herbal life or, or Weight Watchers where there wasn't other people kind of other than like wellness coaches or something. Yeah. Got it. So on average, it sounds like it would have been around a thousand dollars or more a month for these uh, people who were doing mm-hmm. the program, even though they could subsidize it in some way. That's still a lot, mm-hmm. only 10% to see a result at the end of the day. And you said you think it was because it was very restrictive. People were lying, uh, binge eating. It was very keto-based. What else do you think it was that m- made these people essentially, I don't like the word fail, I believe programs fail people. Mm-hmm. But what do yeah, you- I agree. What do you think it was? Do you think back then we were just in a different world or yeah. What do you think people really struggle with? People are creatures of habit, first of all. So people will always go back to what they know, even if it's not good for them. Um, The biggest gap that I noticed, there was no education. There's no teaching about like, how do you do this for the rest of your life? We had like a maintenance program and things like that, that we could help people with. And honestly, like, the tiniest percentage would take it. Most people are like, yeah, I'm good. I've lost all my way. Off I go. And then they would go out and then go back to exactly what, because it almost gives you this self, um, it's a false sense of like identity. It's like, I'm thin now. Like I've lost like 30 pounds, like, and I'm out in the world and I can go and eat an ice cream or a slice of pizza, but they don't realize those habits start to stack again. Mm-hmm. And then they're back in the clinic like an, a year later and they've, they're actually heavier than when they first began with us. And I'm like, and I saw that over and over again. So it's like this false sense of like, oh, like I lost all this weight. Like I can, like, I have this like amazing metabolism now. And then they go back and you go back to what you know. So the problem was a lot of people thought, nah, I don't need like any kind of coaching, but the people who were sort of coming back in and saying like, I don't get it. Like, I don't know why I'm back at this weight or I'm heavier this time. 
And a lot of it is like, I used to ask them like, well, you know, what have you been doing? Well, I stopped going to the gym and, you know, I got busy and people bring excuses, right? Um, you know, I had a baby or whatever. And yeah, I get that when you're having children and things like that, things change, your bodies change, hormones change. Some people hit menopause or they have a life circumstance, but the thing is people end up going back to what they remember, what they know. And people always gravitate towards like their, their, their cravings. Some people are sweet tooth, some people salty tooth. And I used to ask them like, what are you craving? And a lot of them be like, oh, I just wish I could just have like a slice of pizza right now and ice cream. But that's like all they thought about because they felt so restricted. Yeah. So you're kind of trapped in this like mind of like, I can't wait to eat this food. Like I'm sick of eating this stuff. So it was a bad mentality because it was like, like they couldn't wait to sort of get off that boat and go back onto the, on, on the regular boat. Like, well, I can't wait to feel like I can just eat whatever I want again, but they got back into really bad habits. So that's where my business now, Nutritious and Delicious, the reason I picked that name is because I want it to be like healthy for people, but I also want it to taste good and be real food and something that people can sustain. And even when people tell me, you know, like I have clients that say like, oh, I, I have the occasional glass of wine and they're kind of waiting for me to say something to them. I'm like, okay, but that's part of it. Like as long, you know, or like they have a chocolate bar or they eat a slice of pizza. It's just, we don't want to have it on like a regular basis where it's like 80% of the time you're eating really badly. And then 20% you're doing good. You want to switch it to you're eating really healthy and clean as much as we possibly can. And there's going to be that room for like, yeah, you go for ice cream with your kids or you have a slice of pizza with your partner or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like it was that real mindset of, I need to do this program. I need to lose the weight. And then that's it. And I think that's the problem. People see weight management and or health management as this on and off. It's a, it's not a destination. I see it. It's a decision and it's an ongoing yeah. decision that you do make. So I think that's a really good thing to point out. It doesn't matter. You can be on the best diet. You can pay so much money, but at the end of the day, you yourself, your habits have to fundamentally shift and change. And what I was going to add to that was when people came back and you saw them and they put the weight back on and then some, I'm curious to know what your perspective is on the set point theory. So my belief and understanding is when you restrict what you're eating for a period of time, your body will lose the weight, et cetera. But then the minute you start eating quote unquote normal again, because you've starved your body, your set point or where your weight mm-hmm. likes to comfortably sit at will increase. Is that true? Or do you know much about the set point theory? There's there's two ways about that. There's the physical aspect and the the psychological aspect of it. So before we kind of go into sort of that, I noticed, this is something I noticed, and this is a psychological part, I guess, is that even when people lost all the weight, say they lost like 50 pounds and they probably did it in like three months. And that seems quick, but that the program was so restrictive that you could actually get to that point that quickly. But because in that three, three month period of time, people still identified as the person three months ago, not the person now. So when we were talking kind of about, you know, people rebounding and stuff, going back to their weight, a lot of the time is that people still identify as I feel like that fat girl, or I feel like that fat guy still, 
And when they've lost that weight, they still identify like identify as that. So they continue their habits based on those thoughts. Wow. So it's like the, the identification hasn't come through yet. And that's also the problem with diets is they're so fast and people lose weight so quickly because people want instant results. Right. So it's now not like a lifestyle. It's like a quick fix. We've lost all the weight. And now it's like, now I'm in this like body and I'm skinny and I'm scared because like, I don't know what to do with myself. And a lot of people, what I noticed is uh, people that especially had a lot of weight to lose. A lot of it came down to like trauma. Um, it was like a self fulfilling prophecy of, um, comfort was one, Mm. um, and protection. So people put on that protection to keep other people away. So that was something like psychologically I realized. And if you don't work on that, that's why people end up back where they are because psychologically you still have all these issues going on. Right. But you're like identifying as like, this is how I look on the outside. Right. And you don't identify with that yet. So there's like, there's no connection, right? Yeah. Um, physiologically. Yeah. So like actually like your body. So everyone's different body shapes as women. We know like we have, there's so many different body shapes out there. Um, women, I noticed definitely took a lot longer to lose, <clears throat> lose the weight if they were doing it with their partner. So I got a lot of couples that came in, um, husbands and wives that came in. And they were, the women were always upset because their partner always lost way faster than them. And we had to keep reminding them, like, you are very different. They are male. You are female. Like your physical, like physiological body is completely different. And with women, our hormones fluctuate. So we kind of have this like lag because once we've lost a bit of weight, then it's like, oh, then all of a sudden you're bloating because you're on your period and all this stuff. So you're kind of all over the map and the men just seem to like lose it almost like a staircase version. And the women are just like, ah, like I'm trying so hard. And I'm like, I get it. And like, you can't compare yourself to a guy because you guys don't have the same body. Right. Um, so the set point in in terms of women, some, like there's some skinny ladies out there that had still had really big hips or they were voluptuous in certain areas. Um, and they could still not lose the way and they couldn't stay at that weight. So like every person's body is different and you're right. There is kind of a set point, um, where people naturally sit, right. There's no such thing as being big boned or small bones. Like every person's bones are the same size in a body, but there's definitely like, um, the width of your hips and things like that, that matter, the the width of your back that matters. And somebody that's 120 pounds looks completely different from somebody 120 pounds in a different height. So one could be anorexic and one could be overweight. Right. So it's kind of, and I think as women, we kind of sit with this like number. And I noticed that's where a lot of women struggle was like, I just want to be like this weight. And I'm like, but why? Like you're like, you're losing too much. Right. So I th- I think sometimes when what other people realized was that they're like, I really want it. It came in very strong. Like when they, when I asked them like, what do you want to be at? Usually they would overshoot in like a really low number. Oh, I used to be that in high school. I'm like, okay, it's not unattainable, but do you really want to live and eat and kind of live your lifestyle at that weight? Like, would that be healthy for you now? And then I found when they started to lose weight, they were maybe 10 pounds or 20 pounds shy of that goal. And they're like, I don't want to be that weight. Like I'm already like super skinny. Like I don't want to lose any more. So I'm like, there you go. 
you know, so that number that you have stuck in your head isn't always like the best set point, I guess. 100%. There's so much you said that just blew my mind. Then people lose the weight fast and it's almost as though their thoughts cannot change that quickly. So even though you Mm -hmm. lose weight fast and physically you are where you want to be, your thoughts will ultimately in a way can self-sabotage you because they haven't made that change. And this is where a lot of people then develop body dysmorphic traits where they start looking in the mirror and seeing that big girl, even though she's lost so much weight. And I think that's such an important point to make that your mind needs to change on this journey to sustain that change because people think when I lose the weight, everything will change. I'll be happy. I'll be confident. But a lot of the time they're not because throughout that journey, their mind doesn't actually change along with it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the same with money. People think when I have money, when I have this weight, I'm going to be happy. But money solves money problems, weight solves weight problems. So medically, you probably will end up losing the di- the type 2 diabetes. The cholesterol will probably go back to normal the blood pressure will go down. And we saw that in blood work, like that was physiologically, all those things changed. Right. But when it comes to sort of like your mindset, like you said, you're not kind of there yet. And I think it's too fast for people and people want instant results, but then their mindset isn't, they're not doing anything to, to help their mindset get there yet. Right. And that's what was hugely missing. That's such a good way to put it. Weight solves weight problems. Money solves money problems. But your weight problem isn't going to solve your psychological problem of binge eating necessarily. So I think that's so important to take away. And the other thing you said, which I completely agree with because it changed my life too, is if you're listening to this and you have a set number, if you think if only I was 70 kilos or if only I was X amount of pounds. And by the way, when you said 50 Mm -hmm. pounds earlier, for anyone wondering, that's about 22 kilos uh, in kilograms. Basically, ask yourself why. Why do you want to be 65 kilos? What are you hoping that will bring you? What is it going to bring you that you can't attain now? You know, people say, oh, because then I'll Mm -hmm. wear jeans. Wear jeans tomorrow. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think it's better if you if you want to look at numbers. I think it's so much better to have a range. Give yourself that flexibility. Mm. You know, I want to be between 70, 75. I think it's so healthy and nourishing and flexible to have a range that you would like to ideally be around rather than a set number because your body changes throughout the seasons of your life. Uh, Mm -hmm. Perimenopause, menopause, uh, time of the month, pregnancy, all of that. So would you say aiming for a range instead of a number? Yeah be more helpful it's it's hard harder for women because I think the men kind of they don't mind being a certain weight but when I talked to the men it was like on my high school football weight and I'm like okay but the difference is you're eating like a football player right now but you're now at a desk job like that's the issue that we're having right so the activity has gone away and a lot of it for men is more so um I just want to be active so that kind of spurs them on or something medically based they're trying to get away from that's that's causing pain in their life Women, it's like, it's like going back to sort of like high school, maybe before children or something like that. So a lot of women, it's like, but I want my body back. And it's like, you're fighting against sort of like naturally what your body has done for you. And if anything, try and be grateful for like, your body has actually given, you know, life to how many humans that you have. 
Um, and it's an incredible thing. And yes, like I think as women and moms, we have sacrificed our body in order to be able to give somebody else life, like stretch marks and all that good stuff, you know, but yes, you know, at the end of the day, your body changes a little bit and there's a lot of fit moms out there still, and you can still do all that. You can still tone up and everything, but again, like in athletes too, like I used to, like, they would say like, Oh, I used to be super athletic and run all these like marathons and things like that. But is that kind of going to help you right now with like being a mom of how many kids and running errands and doing a job or like being a stay at home mom? Like you kind of have to look at that. And I say for women, almost like a 10 pound range because women, we fluctuate so much sometimes Mm -hmm. throughout the month. Um, Men don't fluctuate so much, but women, we do. We're we're hormonal creatures. (laughs) And yeah, like I'd say pick your lower and kind of go up 10 pounds because that's probably naturally where you're going to end up sitting. Yes. And 10 pounds is about five, five kilos, which is yeah the range I, I said as well. And I think yeah. you just hit the nail on the head when you said, we've all got this past version of ourselves that we glorify. Oh, I want to be back yeah. to my high school weight. I want to be back to my pre-baby weight. But when I ask people, how were you back then? Were you happy? No, I was so restricted. Nope. I was so moody. <laughs> I was so stress. So if you're listening to this, let go of that idea or that weight that you're striving, start a new goal now or set a new idea for yourself. Stop thinking, I want to go back to that way. I want to go back. You don't want to go back. You want to go forward. So set something that's realistic and achievable and not holding on to Mm. the past. Because I feel if you've got one foot in the past and one foot in the present, you're never going to feel fully satisfied. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. true. All right. So just t- touching on that topic and we'll go into some, I guess, solutions, mums and bodies after birth. Cause I imagine this is such a big area and just this pressure to bounce back and all these influencers selling their mum program to get your pre-mum body back, et cetera. What are some things people can do maybe mentally or physically or new mums who may be struggling with their body image? That one's a tough one because so many things change when you do become a mom. And I think a lot of the time when I do speak to moms, it's a lot more um, psychological that's happening. It's a, it's a feeling of stress that you've never had before. Um, partly resentment as well. Um, and it does, it's not talked about because there may be resentment towards partners of um, feeling like they still have a life and you don't. And um, a lot of moms don't like to talk about that. Um, their body that they've given up, sort of, they feel like they've given so much and they're the ones who've kind of gone through the birth and the pregnancy and depends also how the pregnancy has gone. Some people have an easy time. Some people do not (laughs) and the birth as well. And I find a lot of women are so hard on themselves with, but I should be feeling this way. And that's sort of what led me into me having postpartum depression too, is that I kind of had this idea, um, of what motherhood would look like. Um, and I didn't focus so much on, um, the weight aspect, but I definitely remember when I first had my first son, um, I probably didn't take care of myself as much as I should probably in terms of eating enough, Mm. um, to nourish myself because you're, you're so ultra focused now on something else. And, um, a lot of women are in survival mode and, and it kind of, it's a, it's a, um, it's a huge burnout rate of women uh, doing that. So 
first of all, being a new mom, you're missing sleep. Your hormones are way all over the place. Um, and you're kind of expecting yourself at the same time to lose weight and like fit back in clothes. And it sucks because like social media, um, it portrays like 5% of what people's lives are really like. Mm. And people, you know, women look at that and think, oh, like they're doing so well and this and that. But then you actually talk to these moms and they're like, yeah, I was like crying before I got on the camera or my kids are, you know, screaming and fighting all day, or like, I haven't been able to do anything for myself or even have a shower today. So the real truth doesn't come out and it happens to everyone. Like there's just, there's so much fakeness and and I hate it as a society now because women feel so much more pressure to be a certain way, to look a certain way. And honestly, a lot of the times it's, you kind of sometimes have to just step back from social media if it's making you feel worse about yourself. Yeah, I think that's such a good point is to just check in with how it's making you Mm -hmm. feel, how certain accounts are and Mm -hmm. figure out what you really need because sometimes the last thing you need is to go on some massive weight loss transformation journey. Sometimes you just really got to focus on the basics, getting enough sleep, getting enough water, keeping your child Mm -hmm. alive, for example. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's okay. And we are going to go into more about being a new mom and postpartum depression in our next episode. But I guess to sort of wrap this up, Bethany, what do you suggest people who perhaps have gone through diet culture, they've done diets, and they're almost traumatized from counting calories, exercising, doing all that? How can they start to manage their weight or health? Or I don't even know how you phrase it, lose weight, even that's triggering for people in a way that isn't diet culture What's the answer? Because there's so much confusion on this. People say count macros and other people are like, no, macros is uh, disordered eating. Does it depend on the person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, um, and I usually pick this up on like when I do consultations with people and I start to listen to how they talk or what they've done in the past, it starts to create a pattern in like the conversation. Um, if you are very obsessive about the way you have been with food or in the past, um, and you're very a restrictive or you go to the opposite side, which is what creates the cycle of binge eating is restrictive and then eating more food. And it just continues, right? It's um, making all food a yes, no matter what it is, because that's the number one to start with. Because I think there's so many times you tell yourself, oh, I can't eat that because it's not good for me. And then you get into this habit of like, but I don't want to eat vegetables. Like I want to eat that. So then all your mind is focused on is the things that you can't have. And that's a natural instinct for most people is that I want what I can't have, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're constantly telling yourself like, no, I can't eat that or I shouldn't be eating that and you're you're kind of doing that, it's obsessive thinking. Um, And if somebody came across me like that, I probably wouldn't have them focus on calories or macros because it would just make them worse. Mm -hmm. Um, I would probably go into more of a longer term plan, more so I think coaching around their mindset because they have tapes that are going on that are creating these patterns habitually no matter what program they're doing or diet they're doing it's the same issue throughout so um the first thing is every food is a yes so i think starting to make a meal plan for somebody like that is not having anything too restrictive i would probably find out more so what their cravings are whether they're salty sweet uh, salt or sweet um and geared towards that kind of food whether it's different fruits and vegetables, 
and adding treats in because the more you can add stuff in and say yes, you're kind of like giving up that control and and otherwise like it's it becomes more anxiety for people, right? So um that's where you probably would need to work with somebody one-on-one if that's kind of where you're at. Yeah. Um, because it, it will happen in the next program or the next thing that you do, right? Mm, I love that idea of every food is a yes food because mm. When you demonize certain food or put food on a pedestal, then your brain wants it, especially if you say you can't have it. And that's why when people are like, I just can't have that in my house. We're like, no, 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 we need to have that in your house to just neutralize your brain to it, to see it's not this special thing. It's just chocolate. And tell yourself, I can have this anytime. Because when you tell yourself that, you're not going to want it all day, every day. Yeah, that's where I think... Um, when you are in something like that and you can't quit cold Turkey, you kind of have to work your way down. So that's where I would start to say to somebody, if they're perpetually like a chocolate eater or chip eater or things like that, and they suffered really with a really bad binge eating disorder, um, I would start to say, okay, let's just sort of have a look at the amount and let's do that every day. So it's sort of like it, it neutralizes, like you said, it neutralizes that, like, I can't have it anymore. So you're saying, okay, I can have it every day, but I'm just saying, okay, this is your amount and we're going to baggy it up and then you can have this every day. And you get to the point where you're like, I don't want it anymore. Yes. So it almost like loses that, it loses its status and it, like the pedestal thing. It's like you take it off its pedestal. Exactly. And if you have it every day, you're just sort of conditioned to it being there and, and seeing it there. I think that's such a good a good tip. Is there any other tips, I guess, for anyone who is maybe wanting to go on a bit of a health or a wellness or a weight loss journey, but is scared of being triggered back into an eating disorder or back into, um, you know, being really strict. Is there a criteria when you know someone's ready to lose weight versus they still have an eating disorder? So this is a double-edged sword Mm. because, um, what is underlying throughout everything you just said is a psychological issue that's underlying. So whether you start this new fantastic program that guarantees that you'll never have to diet again or anything like that, um, typically it puts you back in that same mindset again. Mm. So a lot of it is if you are geared towards that way and you are naturally very, I'd say compulsive or obsessive with it or feel, um, consumed by it. Right. Um, I think that's where you need to work with somebody long-term and have this be like a more of a long-term realize because of the way you are thinking and maybe the thoughts that are coming out, um, that it's probably going to be, it's probably gonna be like a six month journey for you. I'd say, because to get, like we said at the beginning of the conversation to get your identity matching with like how you want to look, you want to change your inner identity first to match that person that you want to be. Cause then you actually naturally start to change and go, I am actually a healthy person. So you start to make those decisions mm. and it's like going to the gym instead of saying like, Oh, I have to go to like another gym session. I don't want to go. I want to sleep in or whatever it is. You're instead telling yourself in a, in a natural way, like I'm a healthy person. I love working out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's same with the food. So it's like, you want to change the identity underneath first, because that's going to make you long-term lose that weight. And then you actually start to realize like, oh, my clothes are fitting like a lot better. Like I'm not, I'm not actually obsessing over the food that I used to eat before because you're changing the underlying issue. 
Yes. And I love that you said it's a six month journey and it is. I myself have been through a journey and the longer you give it and the less pressure you put, I think it will just start to happen rather than making it this urgent crisis. You've got to change your body and lose weight because that stress creates cortisol and that can be a double-edged sword too. So I think you've just highlighted so many really good points. Was there anything else, Bethany, on the topic you wanted to speak about today before we wrap it up? You just said it yourself. There's a there's a desperation there, right? So that feeling of like, I need to lose weight. I need to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds. Like I'm going on vacation. And there's that like, there's little time to do it. And all of a sudden I have all this stuff I have to lose. So you're in a place of desperation. That's why diets um, draw those people in. Mm. So just be aware of that, right? So in terms of sort of looking at you want to actually be a certain weight or a healthy person, I would start to say, look at like the longevity of like, do you want to be like this next year? Like if you're not feeling happy with where you are, you got to start somewhere, right? But I don't think coming from an urgent place, that's a dangerous place to come from. Yes, I agree 100%. And for me, and I talk about this in in another episode where it was, I forced myself to date when I felt my ugliest and, and heaviest because I accepted and I found a way to love myself at my worst rather than come from this place of desperation. I shouldn't say my worst. I should probably say my most challenging rather than come from a place of desperation. And I can't accept myself like this. I was like, no, this is me and I can be happy and I deserve to do the things that I would do if my body was different. And I think enjoying the journey is really part of it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it is a journey. It is such it might a be a thing. lifelong journey for some people. Yeah, a hundred percent. So Bethany, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. You obviously have so much knowledge and I love that you incorporate, you know, the blood work and you have that medical background as well. Where can people find you? Is there anything you want to plug or your socials? Yeah, uh, everything basically is on my website. So it's www.ndelish.com. Um, we do family meal plans, we do individual meal plans. And if you are somebody that are, you know, you've listened to this and you can hear that maybe you do have some, um, binge eating, things like that, I would suggest probably do some coaching because that would really help you. I think long-term. It's great that you can tap into both of those aspects and you work with families Mm -hmm. and parents as well, which I think is Mm -hmm. incredible. And we'll put the links in the show notes as well. But Bethany, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. I cannot wait to talk with you in the next one. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.